everyone, Brian Beeler, and welcome to the podcast. Today we're talking more alternative cooling. I'm not sure Udi would appreciate liquid cooling, but we'll we'll see. Um, really interesting innovations that his company is involved with, Zuticore, in terms of bringing cooling technologies to the data center that are maybe easier to consume than some of the other choices. So we'll get into all of that. And uh, without any further ado, Udi, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Brian, thanks for having me. Exciting times. Uh, not really alternative cooling. This is uh, the real cooling now. Uh, I think I think some would argue that air is still the preferred methodology, but I'd say air is definitely still predominant. Uh, but uh, air is choking. Air is choking. I mean, we are speaking with uh, major data center owners, uh, edge developers, uh, partners, very large partners across the ecosystem. I think uh, the numbers are starting to show. Uh, air is choking. It's simply applications requiring high-performance uh, processors. Uh, the uh, growth, uh, to fuel the growth, customers are needing uh, to find better ways to utilize their resources and really relief uh, cooling resources uh, for computing in order to achieve that. And last but not least, Thanks God, uh, people are awakened to the need uh, for a more sustainable uh, future and uh, data center with the pace uh, going to make a dent. Uh, so uh, I think this uh, is a perfect storm happening. Well, yeah, I mean, we've talked about this a lot, right? About the, especially the accelerators coming into these systems and driving um, these thermal challenges. It was for a while a bit of an argument on density. So a lot of one use servers stacked together had some airflow challenges, especially when designers wanted to get four or eight CPUs in there. Now it's kind of uh, enough 86 and then x86 and then throw as many accelerators in there as we can, whether it's one U or, or three, four, five U, whatever. The density is really of these high performance cards is really what's driving a lot of this. But I'm, I'm interested in, in your solution and we'll get into the technical bits because the first time I saw you uh, was at Dell Tech World where you were showing, I think it was a 640, taking off the traditional heat sinks, putting your your cooling plate on, so re-gooping re it on there, connecting your tubes and, and getting into to the system and off you go. I mean, that's just a traditional server, but that's perhaps one of the lightest lifts, I suppose, when you look at liquid cooling for these on-plate systems. Um, what, I mean... <laughs> What was the reaction at, at Dell World when you started talking about things this way? This is a little bit different than, than we commonly think about it. The reaction was uh, actually in a great enthusiasm. Uh, I think uh, the um, best was uh, coined by one of the uh, executives, uh, key executives at Dell, uh, who really uh, pin it uh, to say, this is liquid cooling for the mainstream. Okay. Oh, I mean, uh, he was uh, walking uh, to, to our meeting from uh, the big uh, ex exhibit room uh, where it literally took uh, literally uh, four, uh, forklifts uh, to bring in uh, alternative uh, liquid cooling uh, solutions. Whereas uh, we <laughs> literally walked into the room with that uh, R640. Uh, I think that demonstrated and uh, really made that tangible. Uh, one of the key benefits of uh, the Zutacore technology in terms of uh, ease of uh, implementation and use, making it really viable uh, for the mainstream market, uh, both in uh, not just Greenfield, but also Brownfield. So let's talk about that a little bit, 
because you've got some technology differentiations that I think are really important to understand. You know, when we think about liquid cooling, we've talked a lot about it already across a wide chasm of everywhere from a, a discrete loop on a GPU, like in a PC gaming rig, or uh, Lenovo's doing some of this in their SR670 V2 to cool uh, the socketed GPU. So you've got a radiator and fans and it works the same way, but you're getting closer. You've got rear door heat exchangers that'll take traditional servers, but run liquid through that panel to help cool off some of the exhaust and deal with some of those thermals. You've got things like full immersion, where we, we saw some of that at Dell World 2, where the, the tank will be tipped on its side and servers are slotted into the, the liquid. And, and we have to get into this as well. That can either be single phase or dual phase because that becomes important to you, where it's a, a, an oil-based and single phase and just kind of plops around in that puddle, or the dual phase where there's actually a, a reaction occurring that generates a, a, a liquid and, and um, a vapor cycle for the cooling. So let's get there. Um, but there's so much going on. And now what you, you're doing is you're talking about two-phase on the chip, which is something that I haven't seen anybody else doing, and we've been looking at the space pretty closely. So take that little summary of liquid that I did. Talk about probably where I made mistakes, but, but where where you guys fit in there with your solution because it is so unique. You're not just running a cold water loop because that's you know kind of been done or being done. Um, this is really fundamentally different in the way that you're handling the uh, the the cooling cycle there. Uh, so actually, I think uh, you've been pretty accurate. Um, I'd be happy to kind of uh, provide a very quick uh, overview of. Um, how the implementation of ours uh, makes it uh, so simple and, uh, and, and uh, scalable. Uh, essentially, uh, we are very much like uh, single-phase direct-on-chip-based uh, solutions. Uh, we use uh, uh, cold plates, we use manifolds, and we use uh, condensers versus uh, radiators that uh, you mentioned before. And uh, on the surface, uh, it actually looks pretty pretty similar, except that the uh, similarity stops there. Uh, we uh, <coughs> approached it uh, such that uh, the liquid uh, that we're using is uh, dielectric, so there's no water in the server, which uh, is uh, one of the key uh, enablers uh, for both the customers and the technology, not just that it uh, el eliminates uh, the risk of IT meltdown altogether, uh, by the virtue of using this dielectric in the specific way we use it, uh, we implement it, uh, it uh, makes the whole system uh, much smaller and compact. Uh, just to burn, uh, burn the ear, uh, the amount of uh, liquid that uh, is needed in our closed-loop system is a fraction of uh, what single-phase would uh, require and even smaller in comparison to immersion. Uh, in a 100-kilowatt uh, rack, uh, we'd use less than three gallons in the whole system to run, uh, to run the uh, product. Which means that uh, we also, uh, with the implementation of the two phase happening at this uh, pool boiling uh, on the chip, I don't know if uh, the camera, yeah, you can see it. <laughs> sure, it's, yeah, sure. Work. It's, it's, yeah, for, for the audio guys, he's holding up a, a, a plate so you can see what it looks like. Um, yeah, so I'm holding uh, a plate, a cold plate. It's actually an evaporator. You can see how uh, small and compact it is. 
and it would remain compact because we are unlike in single phase that is dependent on, uh, um, on, on specific, is built on one specific heat and therefore dependent on flow and inlet uh, temperature. Uh, in the case of uh, the dual phase, it's uh, all about latent heat, which means that this uh, small pool of uh, dielectric material uh, will be boiling uh, if and only when uh, the uh, heat is generated. Uh, which means that uh, it would evaporate upwards. And that means that uh, we are not bounded, and we're not dependent on flow, we're not dependent on inner temperatures, and therefore we are not bounded uh, by the heat flux, uh, nor by the amount of heat that is generated by the device, which gives a future-proofing within the same compact, slim design. Now, if you compare it, and this is why, again, uh, connecting it to the previous discussion about uh, mainstream, you can actually take existing um, servers, uh, definitely new ones that are coming, and uh, without the need to compensate for uh, higher mechanical devices to allow uh, higher flows, without uh, less dependency on inlet temperatures, you can maintain all of them in a very compact way in those 1U or 2U chassis and allow the densification into the rack and allow, uh, therefore, to bring it uh, in a very simple, easy, cost-effective way into the data center. All right. There's a ton to start to unpack here because I think we've got to do a little work because, again, what you're doing is different. Not you know, that fundamentally, but your delivery mechanism is substantially different. So a lot of the liquid cooling loops that we've seen if we go into an, into an HPC data center or somebody that's embracing uh, these things is that you normally see the, the rack or two of gear, of HPC gear, and if you look around the back, there'll be a bunch of black piping and all the systems will have an inlet and an outlet uh, plugged into the back. And then there's a normally a rack next to it, which is just a, a pump effectively and an exchange, uh, uh, water exchanger that can, that moves the, I'm using water loosely, that moves the liquid around. And eventually they've got to go cool that liquid somehow and, and run it uh, in some cases through a swimming pool or off the roof line or something where, where there's some sort of way to recapture that heat or exhaust that heat, uh, recapture ideally. In your system, just walk us through what that looks like because the, the little heatsink plate you were holding up is only a few millimeters tall. So you're talking about a reaction of when that dielectric fluid comes in, makes contact with the plate that's hot, and it causes that fluid to, I guess, boil at that point? Is that the right, or, st or off gas? What, what is that process? So, so the process is indeed boiling. Um, okay. It's a little bit uh, uh, vice versa. So this, ah. uh, this, this uh, evaporate of this cold plate, which is acting as an evaporator, holds the, a small, tiny amount of this dielectric uh, liquid, um, and that creates a, quote-unquote, a pool, a small pool of this uh, liquid sitting there either. And uh, the uh, instantly, when uh, heat is being generated, right, the processor is starting to, uh, to warm up, but instantly, without needing to create any weight because the evaporation is happening, uh, the, the boiling is happening instantly, um, at the desired, um, uh, at the desired temperature that we need to maintain it, <clears throat> that uh, process uh, is, uh, by the virtue of uh, turning uh, from vapor to liquid, is what carries uh, the heat 
uh, in a very uh, efficient way uh, to the tubing that uh, takes uh, the vapor out. This vapor, mm. uh, both the liquid uh, tubing and the vapor tubing are connected uh, to a set of manifolds, uh, in-rack manifold, uh, and those would go uh, into this uh, uh, heat rejection unit, which essentially is a dual function device uh, known as CDUs in the single phase, but uh, in our case, it's a condenser. So one function is condensing the vapor back into liquid and make it available again for uh, the system in a closed loop. And the other is to eject the heat uh, to the primary loop, whether it's uh, air or uh, another liquid, whether typically primary water loops, uh, in some cases might be another dielectric uh, material that uh, we're working with other partners to, to take out. That process make it uh, both very efficient in terms of cooling, but also very scalable and very available in variety of use cases because the heat re those heat rejection units, those condensers, are coming in uh, different shapes and form, uh, anywhere from in-rec solutions, so you can actually wreck and roll into a hybrid environment, existing hybrid environment, which is a big benefit because uh, data center owners do not need to commit themselves to a major forklift uh, up front, unless, of course, if they want to, they can. Uh, and then uh, the family extends to end-of-roll solutions and uh, as well as external solutions, which would be super efficient from a sustainability or, or uh, energy point of view. Uh, we also have uh, solutions that would maintain the room, uh, uh, maintain room neutral, uh, and would actually use the heat uh, generated uh, by by the fans back into our system, and keep the room neutral. Uh, although it's part of a larger data hall, so again, very uh, a kind of a hundred percent heat use uh, capture that uh, we provide. Uh, I guess uh, later we'll talk about uh, scenarios that uh, would make the heat uh, reuse uh, in a further extension of uh, the benefits of uh, this particular technology. Yeah, we, we should do that. So what you're talking about then is, is still just like a standard liquid cooling loop. You've got an inlet and an outlet, basically, where your fluid is going in and then coming out as, as gas and then being sort of repatriated back into, into fluid and then sent around uh, again. But are you actually pushing or are you using gravity for, for this as well? I'm, I'd want to be clear on that. Uh, it's gravity and, and you hit the nail on the, 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 exactly on the head. Uh, this pool of uh, liquid sitting is sitting idle in the evaporator. Uh, and would not boil at all if there's no heat generated. So you can imagine multiple of those sitting across the servers and across the rack and across the data centers. Some processors would work at turbo mode, others would be idle, others would be just uh, running at uh, some percentage of uh, load. Each one of them, uh, all of them are connected in parallel, but each one of them is self-regulated, meaning the process of uh, evaporations and therefore keeping the uh, processors cool would happen instantly but on demand only when needed. That's one of the reasons why we managed to build the system with so much uh, a small amount uh, with such a small amount of liquid and one of the reasons why the uh, uh, why it's uh, uh, so compact and why it's so energy efficient. 
the condensers that I, may, I, I uh, described before, uh, just again to burn the ear, uh, in-rec condenser that can handle upwards of uh, 70 kilowatt computing, uh, would uh, draw uh, under uh, just about uh, half a kilowatt uh, when the system is running at full throttle. Uh, so uh, that, that tells us uh, how efficient, energy efficient the system is. Seems that way. Um, talk a little bit too about the process. So again, I saw the video and, and we can link to that in this description so people can check that out because it is relatively easy. You're unscrewing the, the large air heat sink, re, repasting it, dropping your guy on, running tubes out the back, presumably connect you know one to, to each uh, manifold there and, and off it goes. Now that was a CPU example. I imagine you can work on anything else, socketed GPUs. Um, are you also looking or doing RAM or, or other things within the system that, that perhaps aren't as intuitive as the CPU and GPU? So the answer, the answers are yes, yes, and yes. Uh, we are uh, today we are privileged to being qualified by uh, both Intel and AMD uh, with their uh, existing uh, line of processors, including the Cephe Rapids. We're working with both on uh, next generation um, processors. We are extend expanding as we as we speak. Uh, the coverage to a number of uh, GPUs, and uh, as well as going beyond the processors in, uh, of, of various kinds into uh, the DIMMs and VRs, uh, that solution would come out uh, soon. In, in fact, um, applying this technology uh, is, uh, is rather attractive and, and um, technically simple. Uh, to extend it to 100% of the board, it's a matter of um, uh, running the economics and seeing that uh, in a system solution, whether it makes sense to invest in, on, in the on-board on solution versus the kind of 100% heat capture uh, solution at the direct level that I've described before. Right. Um, so your, it strikes me, though, that your solution is, is overall then relatively simple. And it's a bit of a, a retrofit. How? What does that go-to-market look like today? I mean, you can work on any system; it, it's somewhat irrelevant. But um, do you have a network of resellers that do this work? Because it doesn't—it's not something that, uh, as you're configuring your power edge, you can select liquid cooling today or uh, your, your dielectric cooling. That's not available just yet. But how do how do these things get consumed? Obviously, in the HPC space, those are often very bespoke custom jobs and so that's one thing but what about the rest of the world and as we said uh this is uh, going to mainstream so your question is right on um and uh we pride ourselves of uh, developing the ecosystem in general and the system integration partnerships in particular from day one uh, we've been uh, working very closely with some of the largest data center uh, customers uh, from a very, very early stage of uh, developing the technology and thereafter bringing the products to market. And it was clear to us um, that uh, the go-to-market needs to be predicated on uh, working with and through system integration partners that would actually perform uh, under, under training and formal certification, of course, but would perform the uh, the work just like they do, by the way, on uh, server configurations, uh, regardless of of, uh, of uh, a, a direct on chip uh, cooling. 
so they, for them, it, uh, it's a natural expansion of uh, their services, uh, and their customers are uh, counting on them and have the uh, have the confidence in, in them providing the services. Uh, if you go on our website, uh, check it out. Uh, we we're really grateful to have some of the largest system integration partners uh, on board, fully certified, fully trained, and actually performing uh, this kind of uh, uh, role uh, as we speak with uh, some of the uh, most demanding customers across various verticals. Uh, among them is, uh, of course, uh, Worldwide Technology (WWT). We're also working very closely with the server OEMs, a number of them, and uh, again, uh, if, if uh, you follow some of the uh, publications, you'd see that we're working, uh, for example, very closely with uh, Dell uh, Technologies, and in particularly with uh, Dell OEM. Uh, eventually, uh, those uh, would be provided the SKUs uh, from uh, server OEMs, uh, and meanwhile, uh, this uh, job is uh, performed under certification by those system integration partners. Okay. So let's talk then too a little bit more about the loop because of all the feedback we get is that traditional enterprises that haven't conceived of, of putting these systems in are afraid of leakage. So they're afraid of one of the lines springing a leak and now their, their 48U or 2U of, of, of server gear is wet. So let's understand that. Um, and then let's talk a little bit more about servicing this and, and how often fluid needs to be added. Let's, let's talk to some of the scary administrative details of, of these loops. So in your case, if one of those, um, let's start with something simple. One of the, the blue or, or red tubes to a CPU springs a leak. What, what happens? Uh, so nothing of uh, catastrophic failure would happen because uh, this is dielectric. In fact, uh, we demonstrated and people love the fact that you can pour the liquid uh, onto the uh, board and uh, nothing will happen. Uh, so from that perspective, uh, it's safe. Now, we designed the system, of course, uh, to be leakage-free uh, and uh, have all the uh, monitoring in place uh, to, um, uh, to keep it, uh, uh, keep close eye on it. Actually, that's one of the strengths of the system is the software, we'll talk about it later. Uh, and uh, if, uh, if there is a leakage uh, through one of the tubes, or you know, one of the tubes being cut somehow, uh, what would happen is a normal shutdown of that, uh, of that particular CPU. Uh, that's it. Uh, that's the worst that would happen in, in that case. This is uh, one of the key differentiators, of course, of the system that uh, not just from uh, the elimination of the catastrophic failure uh, is a huge uh, value and uh, allows uh, the data center operator to sleep well at night, uh, but also, again, it, uh, it is one of those things that uh, feed into why the system is so much simpler. Uh, whereas in case of bringing water to the server because of the catastrophic failure um, uh, risk, they need to uh, create a much more stringent and robust uh, mechanical uh, tubing. Uh, ours is very flexible and easy to route into any server. And you talked before about how more densified those servers are coming with multiple processors and, and GPUs. It's becoming hard to route those kind of uh, robust, uh, bulky uh, elements into the server. 
It also eliminates the need to put in um, uh, all kinds of uh, additional layers of uh, safety, uh, which uh, cost money, uh, take space, and uh, create more uh, complexity, such as uh, uh, negative pressure systems. Uh, those are not needed in our case. Uh, as I said, the worst that would happen uh, by design is that uh, this, uh, this particular processor or board uh, would, uh, would basically shut down. Okay, so that's, that's one thing, and then you could service it, replace your tubes and, and, or whatever, and be off and running again. The other one you talked about was needing just a couple gallons for effectively a, a rack of gear. How often, in your case, does this two-phase fluid need to be replaced or added to? Is it like a car oil where it's somewhat consumable if you drive heavy and, and, and may need to, to fill up before you know, your six-month checkup? or how, how does that work? So the system is a closed loop. Uh, there's uh, there's uh, practically, with the exception, of course, if there's uh, any significant uh, breakage uh, that would cause uh, leakage, uh, there's no loss of, uh, uh, of, of uh, liquid. Uh, there's a tiny little uh, diffusion of that uh, through the, to, uh, over time, but we're talking about uh, less than a percent uh, over the life cycle of the uh, system, uh, and therefore doesn't make any difference. Uh, you might see a need to refill in the case of, uh, in, the, in the unlikely case of, uh, in terms of usage of the system, if there's a lot of uh, insertion and extension of uh, servers, but this is not a typical uh, data center environment. Uh, the reason is every time you put it in and out, uh, you, you bring in and out uh, uh, you know, in, in those evaporators this uh, small pool, so it might aggregate a lot, but this is not a typical uh, use case. So in most, uh, in most cases, uh, there's really no need uh, to refill uh, the system. In fact, we have systems running at, uh, again, I speak about uh, what we can speak publicly at uh, Equinix, uh, for a couple of years now, uh, we didn't have to fill them up. Uh, the system is up and running. Now, the, because it's a closed uh, loop and uh, because of the characteristics of uh, the liquids we're using, uh, they actually, the level of uh, purity remains uh, intact. Um, and uh, you know, a few years later, when, uh, when, if and when you need to uh, remove the liquid, uh, the liquid uh, remains intact and can be reusable. Okay, so that's the, the the physical service, and I'm sure you, know, you do regular checks, or a customer would, or their partner on on fittings and tubes and connections and all that sort of thing is some sort of you know I don't know semi regular physical check. Um, so as we think about it, as the loop continues through, then the last real big thing is is the heat. So I still have to dispose of this heat somewhere, which is both an opportunity, but also a challenge, depending on what sort of scale you're talking about. What are your customers doing with heat at, at, at what different sizes? I mean, if you just have a rack of gear, can you exhaust into, you know, your, your attic AC or like what, what's going on? What, what are the choices there? Okay, so uh, the key word that you used, uh, Brian, is choices. Uh, the choices are determined by the uh, customer environment. And as we know, uh, there, are, there are multiple different environments. And uh, even within same, similar environments, uh, there are some 
heterogeneous uh, environments uh, that they can uh, they need to deal with. And this is where uh, Zutaco introduced variety of uh, heat rejection units, which is really the uh, uh, where the uh, solution uh, would be uh, determined uh, based on uh, the needs. So let me touch on uh, just a few examples here. Um, you know, typical uh, in typical uh, data center environment that is uh, only uh, running based on air cooling today. Uh, there's no facility water uh, primary loop there. Uh, this is actually where one of the areas where the Zutaco solution would shine uh, because we are bringing in uh, the heat rejection units such that they would um, extract the heat uh, outside to in the in-rec solution outside into the uh, hot aisle. Uh, and typically the existing uh, infrastructure to remove the heat from the hot iron or cool it back uh, has enough capacity uh, for a variety of reasons, among which that uh, if you deploy it at scale at, in, in this kind of situations, uh, the, um, uh, you, you can increase the uh, ambient temperature uh, of, the in, of, of the cold iron. Uh, which would result in a very uh, uh, significant uh, energy saving. Uh, with a variety of uh, uh, different uh, heat rejection units uh, families, such as the rear, rear air door condenser of ours, so that's not the typical uh, uh, rear, rear door uh, exchanger, this is a condenser. Uh, you could even uh, reduce the CFM uh, and achieve uh, even uh, greater saving. Uh, so the handling of that, uh, and quite uniquely for Zutaco, would uh, provide for a solution in air environments uh, that would be able to not just uh, deal with uh, high power processors at very high density, uh, but would do it within existing uh, data center power envelopes, and at the same time achieve power efficiencies. Uh, this is a distinct uh, benefit if you look at the other options to do it with uh, single-phase cooling. It's not coming. Uh, it's not coming even close to the densities that we can deal with. Uh, another family is a family of uh, heat rejection units that uh, it would eject it to uh, a liquid, most typically uh, in many uh, data centers uh, running into the primary loop of facility water. Uh, and there again, uh, we can use uh, very high uh, temperatures, uh, inlet temperatures, so we can. You don't need chillers if they do fine. Uh, but you can really work in environments that would go upwards of uh, W4 with the HVAC, uh, which again makes for very efficient uh, use cases. And complementing those uh, is what I alluded to before, is the uh, end of all and external HIUs, which form a, a power uh, savings of PUE and uh, therefore a, a, the, the uh, energy efficiency uh, would provide uh, the most compelling solution. Of course, those would be uh, designed for much larger uh, deployments in the, into the hundreds and uh, megawatts and, and uh, hundreds of kilowatts and uh, into megawatts. Uh, so that gives you kind of uh, a, the, the wide scope of a solution uh, or family of products that provide solutions into different uh, data center environments. This is also, uh, I think, a good opportunity to kind of just introduce, and maybe if you'd like, we can discuss it further, uh, that uh, with uh, some of those uh, products, we can provide uh, a, a, the highest quality of heat for heat reuse, uh, and do it in a way that uh, not just uh, provide uh, upwards of 70 degrees Celsius, 
but uh, guarantee that even in fluctuating loads of uh, the data center and the heterogeneous environment of the CPU. But let's keep it for the next uh, <laughs> Well, yeah, the, the, one of the great things with guys like you that are, that are operators but also nerds is that, <laughs> is that you understand the technology and can go, go deep there as appropriate because I'm sure, I'm sure this is a real conversation. When you go talk to an organization that hasn't done something like this before, if they're already in on, on, on liquid, then they're in and, and the sale gets a lot easier. But for, for first time and for some of these enterprises now that have AI practices that didn't before and have to deal with these things, um, the conversation with someone at the CXO level versus the practitioner, I mean, there's going to be a wide chasm there. I hit on some of the maintenance concerns that we get hit with every time on these things. And, but then there's the operational concerns and, and to be able to hit on all of that's important. But fundamentally, every time I get the pushback from you know, we're never putting liquid in our data center. Well, I don't think you have any choice in, in another maybe two server cycles, maybe one, kind of depending on your workloads. But if you're after these high-performance workloads and leveraging the GPUs, you're either going to have to have twice as much gear so you can space it out or figure out some other way to cool these things in, in a more dense environment. And maybe in the U.S. we're somewhat spoiled in terms of data center space to be able to spread out a little bit. Uh, or maybe even we have to because a lot of the colos, as you know, don't have enough power in that rack. If you wanted to populate 42U of GPUs, you just can't physically do it. Um, but in Europe and other parts of the world, the density problem is, is very real. Are you seeing, I'm, I'm sure you're seeing that, but are you seeing a, a greater adoption for liquid cooling in some of these other places that might have a stronger green initiative than we do in the U.S. and, and more of a density challenge? You know, uh, I, I would say yes, uh, if we would be speaking uh, maybe six, 12 months ago. I think what's uh, happening here uh, in the last um, few months is uh, here, I mean, in the in, uh, inland uh, U.S. is phenomenal. Uh, we see clients, data center owners and operators that uh, would uh, be known to be the slowest to adapt, uh, most uh, uh, you know, concerned, uh, conservative, uh, moving into action. And uh, the reason they are moving into action is uh, exactly tying back to the points you just said and uh, that we discussed at the um, beginning of this call. Uh, there's this confluence, there's a uh, perfect storm that is happening. I mean, some of them are signed up uh, by uh, by their CEOs uh, to 20, 30 goals. Uh, there's no way in half that they will even get close to that goals if they won't start implementing liquid cooling today as part of uh, the strategy. I'm not saying it's a it's a magic wand. That's the only thing they, they need to do. They need to do some other things to realize that. And I can... Just as an example, uh, in their existing data centers, they can deploy today, but they would need to bring, uh, to redistribute the power to the racks, right? right. The power distribution is, is going to be key. But that's something uh, that is uh, relatively speaking easy and easier than go and start building a new data center uh, that uh, would be designed for that, that would come online just in, uh, say at best, in three years, but would never help them achieve their goals. Uh, and it's not stopping there. 
as you as you said before, those uh, applications are requiring the higher power processors. They're moving up uh, with the families of processors. Uh, they need to cool them. They bring in uh, GPUs to some uh, for some of those applications, and they're still within the power envelope that uh, they have. So now another forcing function for them is to shift this power from uh, cooling to computing. Otherwise, again, it's just operationally it's not going to happen. Now it's not taking away the uh, the, the absolute uh, need for them to go through all the testing and qualification and make sure that uh, this uh, solution is uh, really delivering what it's promising to deliver and that uh, all the uh, operational and maintenance and economics, economics needs to work. Uh, you know, uh, budgets are not uh, unlimited. Uh, they're actually very stringent on those budgets. Uh, this is where the other point we discussed before comes into play. Uh, you know, it's one thing, uh, with all due respect, uh, to look up at uh, Zutaco, uh, but those customers are customers that have uh, deployments at scale and globally. Uh, they need to be assured that uh, their providers can uh, deliver it, uh, that their provider can uh, uh, service it, uh, and do it at the global scale. And this is where, again, uh, Zutaco is now um, really enjoying the fruit of uh, a tremendous investment we've done in developing our go-to-market uh, partners. So let me ask you this, too. I mean, obviously, when we're talking rack scale, hyperscale, HPC scale, there's a lot of easy wins there for you. Is there a play, or does there well, need to be a player? I'm still looking for the easy wins. If uh, if you <laughs> send me some easy wins, I'll take them. The easy emotional wins. Um, if as you look further down the stack, as you look at edge computing, as you look even at SMB, is there maybe not just for a, a file server for an eight-person accounting office, but is this technology a player? in smaller physical sizes, or is it just not quite necessary yet? Answer is absolutely yes. This is this is exactly the the point that uh, this executive at Dell said. This is mainstream. Yes, it serves uh, well the hyperscalers uh, and the large deployments, but this is mainstream. In fact, you know, a number of times we've used the uh, term of uh, HPC in this discussion. Um, when, when we're working with our HPC partners, uh, some of them have done this for life, uh, they really uh, put their finger on a very interesting uh, point there that relates to this question. Uh, there's the HPC, you know, the supercomputers, the, the very high end of uh, the HPC clusters, but they coined very nicely. There's the, the, there's the HPC, the forgotten middle. They use the word the forgotten middle. And this is this is actually what you're describing. This those are those enterprises that have significant capacity of non-HPC, but given the application, and we see it across vertical. We see it uh, in manufacturing. We see it in uh, in healthcare. We see it uh, in, in definitely in finance. Uh, you see it across across the board. Uh, there are applications that are requiring them to move to an HPC-like environment, and although it's not going to be hundreds of racks, it will be only portions of the racks uh, within their installation. Uh, they are requiring; they have the needs for liquid cooling. Now, you also mentioned the edge. Um, 
in, in its broader broader sense of edge, right? We, we know edge can be can take uh, different shapes and forms, but this edge has some uh, commonality in the sense that uh, it is being done uh, in many cases in uh, in urban areas uh, where where space is is a big a tremendous constraint. Uh, it is done in modular data centers environments uh, for a variety of uh, benefits for them, the drive modular. Uh, and actually, even in the um, non-urban in, in, uh, areas, uh, there are requirements that has to do with uh, things we talked about uh, before, of uh, needing uh, to do it uh, with uh, little to no uh, service. So all of those uh, actually use cases that uh, you put it together, drive the need and now the solution for the mainstream that are not necessarily the hyperscalers. Right. Well, it, it's a problem that we face here in, in Cincinnati, Ohio. We've got eight racks of gear. Our main lab has six. And in the summer right now, actually, when it's 95, 6, 7 degrees, we can't run everything we want to all the time. Further, to be efficient, we're open air cooled. So that comes to us about uh, nine months of the year, but three months of the year, it's not so good pumping in the 96 degree so now, air. Brian, now I know what you meant by an easy win. There you go. <laughs> yeah, but you haven't seen my budget. <laughs> uh, but no, but that's a real, a real challenge for us is that if we had something like this, I just think that that there's a and we've talked about it a couple times today that there's a general discomfort with traditional IT in in making this decision whether it's you or or any of the other liquid solutions because it's just different it's a little bit scary it's a little bit oh my gosh now what do I have to do I've got to pump these 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 pipes into the attic or into the basement or I got to do something with this this heat and run this complicated loop that I don't have or if I'm in an office building that I can't modify, where I have very little control over that, not a traditional you know, elevated floor data center. So I, I think these are some of the things that pop into to customers' heads in, in terms of how, how do I, can I even do this? Ooh, yuck, it's scary. No, let's say we can't and just stick with air for as long as possible. Again, uh, very, that's, that's very good observation. Uh, that's reality. I think uh, liquid cooling in general, this is not uh, Zutaco in particular. Um, for the first time, uh, I mean, it, it, liquid cooling has been there for a long time, but I think in what we're seeing now, uh, liquid cooling uh, requires a convergence between the traditionally separated uh, silo of uh, infrastructure, uh, power and cooling, and the other silo of IT. Uh, by the virtue now that <laughs> the, the liquid somehow gets to the IT, uh, regardless of the liquid cooling technology, uh, there's a convergence. Uh, and that forces, uh, forces those groups to actually collaborate. Sometimes uh, it's the IT that uh, takes the lead uh, because the pain is uh, bigger there, and sometimes it's the infrastructure. Uh, but very quickly, those two uh, silos are now uh, getting to work together. Uh, and, and yes, it's a, it's a change. The beauty, uh, and again, I'm, I'm saying it humbly because uh, this is really what um, our customers and, and partners are telling us. Uh, the beauty in uh, the, the way uh, Zutaco implemented it, uh, 
as I said before, is uh, it, it takes away many of the concerns. Um, it, the simplicity makes it uh, much uh, more attractive for those different groups uh, to realize that, hey, uh, yes, we need to deal with some level of change, but it's minimum. Uh, we are eliminating the need uh, for uh, uh, for forklift, uh, uh, forklift projects altogether. In many cases, we eliminate the need to even deal with water infrastructure. Uh, so this whole notion of uh, no forklift, of little to no uh, change to not just the infrastructure, but also to the trades, uh, to the existing uh, uh, operational processes, uh, to even the uh, service agreements, uh, leveraging the same service agreements, same uh, uh, providers, uh, puts uh, customers at much bigger ease uh, than uh, dealing with uh, other alternatives that um, are, in fact, more difficult. Well, so talk about that because the simplicity should help then on this next question of economics. So how do you rationalize the investment required to do this? Because it's not obviously nothing and it's more uh, capital expenditure than just buying your air-cooled power edge or whatever and, and being off and running. There is some equipment, there is an investment in infrastructure on one hand. On the other hand, um, you could drop some or all fans depending on the configuration. So you've got some power savings there. You've got uh, additional efficiencies uh, from from cooling the equipment that that perhaps you pick up on, and and maybe even some electrical savings. But how do you help customers rationalize the financial decision? Uh, again, you you already described it. Uh, there's uh, the typical ROIs, uh, by the way, that we've seen, and it's project dependent, of course. Uh, the typical ROIs are in the one to three years um, uh, periods, which hmm. is uh, whether um, you know, completely viable in most cases. Uh, there's uh, a, there's also the notion of uh, I think uh, pricing elasticity that uh, you can expect as uh, volume uh, uh, ratcheting up. Uh, essentially, um, customers that uh, are rationalizing it for the near term projects at uh, smaller scales. Uh, enjoying the benefits, just like you said, of uh, eliminating both uh, uh, capex and definitely enjoying uh, opex savings uh, that are very tangible uh, in order to rationalize uh, the economics. Uh, and uh, customers that are doing it with the notion or the uh, view into the future, and I'm not talking about far future, I'm talking about volume dependent, right? When they are moving into significant amount of uh, megawatts, uh, aggregated megawatts. At the end of the day, the, they do understand, and we are not hiding it, that the cost of those elements, uh, and one of our key partners actually did a phenomenal detailed analysis of that. It's volume, this is going to be competing with air. Now, it's not yet there, but there's, there's, it's, it's the, literally, at the end of the day, the cost of materials. Now, uh, it goes beyond that, and I want to touch here a little bit, uh, kind of segue a little bit into the software, right? We, we talked a lot about the hardware system uh, that is the co-offering. Uh, uh, having said that, uh, Zuteco have been uh, 
for, for this work we've done with those large customers and partners. Uh, we've invested a lot in developing a complementary software. I'm saying complementary because uh, it's not needed for the operation of uh, the actual operation of the hardware system. Uh, but this uh, was developed uh, uh, and called the Software Defined Cooling because it does come uh, as another branch under the Software Defined Data Center of its various kinds, you know, networking, uh, the power system. Uh, the uh, idea there is uh, twofold. One, it provides, uh, we, we are sitting on at the, at literally, the endpoints of uh, in, in, any, in in those data centers, those uh, we're sitting on the processors, we're sitting on the GPUs, we're soon be sitting on the DIMMs, etc. So think, imagine um, the uh, basically almost infinite number of uh, endpoints that we are sitting on, and that enables us uh, to build the uh, software-defined cooling based on uh, a lot of data that we're collecting uh, through the system. Uh, performance, temperatures, uh, flows, etc. This becoming a big data pool. And uh, first and utmost, we are shipping our system today with uh, the what we call the software defined cooling platform, which is a very, very highly granular um, monitoring control system that no customer would want to fly blind, and that gives them the opportunity to really know exactly what's happening in the system everywhere, including all the alerts that feed into preventive maintenance in case uh, it's needed, etc. But it also provides us uh, the ability to build on the big data uh, and uh, really venture into uh, additional features and functionalities that bring tremendous value. I'll touch briefly on two. One is dynamic frequency scaling in some applications that can enjoy it. We actually optimize the run, the, the, uh, the, the run of uh, the jobs uh, over larger number of uh, processors uh, that would run at a lower, uh, a lower throttling or lower power. Uh, instead of running them at full throttle quickly, the job would end up at the same time and would account for uh, upwards of 20% of additional uh, power saving uh, of the servers. A completely different uh, application of that is uh, going into this heat reuse that I mentioned before that allows us to control the system such uh, that, uh, uh, that we can guarantee uh, 70 degrees uh, Celsius uh, uh, of, of, uh, of heat uh, coming out uh, in fluctuating loads. Very, very tough to do without this kind of software. Uh, by the way, it doesn't require specifically the Zuta Core underlying uh, hardware to run underneath. Can run uh, with uh, practically every every uh, every hardware. So, all of that is to say that uh, uh, there's the tremendous benefit from the liquid cooling. As we talked on the hardware side, uh, there's actually a whole new level of uh, benefits that customers can uh, retrieve uh, from the software. Well. I mean, that's pretty cool too, right? Because you talk about software as if it was inherent in your design, but we've seen throughout IT history where, where companies get very myopically focused on the product that they're delivering and kind of forget about the broader ecosystem, the visibility into how things work. And I mean, we often see that today of like, oh yeah, you know, just plug our API into whatever. Like, okay, I mean, that's cool for a lot of people, but for... For many, they want a little more of a, a curated, manicured experience in terms of seeing that data and 
and trusting you to be the expert to help show that and, and, and what that should, should look like and, and how that should be interacted with. Um, so all of these things, you're meeting people at these trade shows and, and having these conversations. What does it look like if somebody wants to check this out? Because this isn't something where you can just send them a box of your, uh, uh, your plates that you were angrily shaking at me before uh, and say, you know, just chuck them onto your servers and off you go. What is a POC in, in this model? Is there one or is it sort of binary? How does that work? It's actually uh, simpler than uh, than uh, it sounds. Uh, okay. All all uh, that the customer and us uh, and typically the partners, uh, the the partners that we train and certify are the ones that are leading those. Uh, that tells you how easy it is, right? It's not like a, a very complicated process. But all yeah, partners aren't very smart, so you have to keep it simple, right? Is that what you're saying? I'm saying. That, uh, <laughs> You know their investment; uh, they are actually smarter than us <laughs> because they figured out ways to do things at the, at the large scale, at the large scale and globally. But they're actually smarter than us, and I'm saying one of the reasons that uh, it is so attractive for those partners, and therefore for the customers too, is that it's designed uh, to be simple, even from a POC point of view, right? So we've done uh, and are doing growing number of POCs. Actually, just recently looked at the global map, right? The the globe, uh, and we have uh, so many of them uh, spread around across uh, a few continents now. Uh, the well, all that's needed uh, to know is really what uh, processors they are using. So we make sure that we have those uh, cold plate, the evaporators, uh, ready. And if not, by the way. Um, it's, a, it's a process that takes about three months uh, to come up with a new one if there's justification for the volume, of course. Yeah, okay. Uh, so we need to know what the processors are. We need to know what uh, the server models that they prefer to do just so uh, we, we optimize the uh, tubing uh, for, for this or, or the partner does that. Um, and then uh, a number of servers um, and uh, practically the um, we'd like to know the type of rec just so you know we check that there's nothing uh, out of ordinary and of course in, uh, into which uh, data center environment it's going uh, is it air uh, do they have uh, facility waters what's the uh, uh, total rec power that they want to do etc uh, that's practically it and uh, we can turn it around today, uh, and again, this is actually a great segue. Uh, we can turn around uh, uh, units, uh, not just for POC, but also for production deployments, um, at, uh, not at unlimited scale, but at scale, uh, in rather uh, quick uh, lead times. And that's not because we are sitting on tremendous amount of inventory, nor that uh, we figure something out in supply chain that others didn't. It's because uh, in comparison to other liquid cooling systems, because of the simplicity and because of the inherent characteristics such as, you know, uh, it's dielectric, uh, the materials that we're using are more common. Uh, a specific example, uh, the quick disconnects that we're using are not requiring to be completely dropless. You can have a drop when you connect and disconnect, nothing happens, right? Those are much cheaper and much more available than the, the ones that are very stringent, you know. Uh, so the dielectric decision lets you have a little more flexibility in terms of, of that. Yeah, because you need, if you're dripping oil or something, it needs to be 
right? So let's say water, just yeah. One example, and there are many examples like this, which allows us to be in this very uh, challenging environment of supply chain, uh, be uh, pretty nimble. So to your question, um, and maybe hopefully um, you would consider one as well. We can turn it around in just uh, a few weeks. No, I, I was about to say you missed the part where I was about to list off our Eaton racks, our Dell servers, the uh, a couple others we needed. Um, but the fundamental difference between uh, what you would like in a customer, again, comes back to, <laughs> to that budget. So we're going to have to work on that one. We might have to do some uh, eval testing for you guys. But all right, so it sounds like, and this is news to me, I actually had no idea that you could, that you guys would support a small environment like that for a POC or even a small environment. So I think that's really worth noting because I think in, in my head and obviously incorrectly, I often think about these as large scale solutions and, and not something that's consumable uh, as much in, in a smaller organization. So that's, that's great to know. Um, where do people go? Zutacore.com, Z-U-T-A-C-O-R-E? That's a great place to start. And again, uh, you there uh, can see the links to customers or partners of ours, uh, such as WWT, I mentioned, Boston. Mm-hmm. There are a number of uh, partners. You can go directly to them as well. Well, this has been great. I appreciate your time. I, I When I first saw you do your demo with that R640, I had no idea that there was even another choice out there in terms of um, you know just what's available in in this cooling business, so you guys are are doing something that's very distinct and, and very cool, and so we're we're glad to to help spread the word. Thanks for coming on and talking to us about it. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for making uh, a, the the world available for uh, the community at large, and uh, we're looking forward to continue. Very good. Thanks again, Udi. Thank you. Have a great day.